Our scripture passage today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter three, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, with him, I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. I need to set this down somewhere. From the time I was three years old into age, until age 15, my family lived on a boat, a catamaran, and mostly in the Florida Keys. My dad was a gifted mechanic and carpenter, and he kept everything in good shape on board. But I remember one day coming up into the cockpit and seeing all of the panels opened up. The engine was exposed and parts were strewn around. My daddy was sitting there with open toolboxes, tinkering with some chunk of metal, his fingers dark with engine grease. When he looked up at me and smiled, he looked to my childish eyes like a gremlin, joyfully taking the engine apart to cause mischief. What are you doing? I asked, and he laughed. Here was a seven-year-old girl come to inspect his work and looking incredulous. I knew my dad, and I knew him to be skillful and trustworthy with engines but I didn't know what he was doing, and it looked like a wild mess. Pastor Brady has chosen Who Is This is our theme for Lent this season. Today, on the first Sunday of Lent, we're going to begin to explore who this Jesus is, and we're also going to sit in the mystery of what he is doing. In our text today, John knows more about Jesus than anyone else at the River Jordan. We don't know the exact details of what John did and didn't know on this particular day. Scholars have speculated as to whether or not John realized that Jesus was the Son of God just before his baptism. And different Gospels appear to lean slightly in different directions on this point. However, you may remember from the Gospel of Luke that John, whom the angel had said would be full of the Spirit of God before birth, leapt in his mother's womb in recognition of Jesus, who was nearby in Mary's belly. When John grew up, he was the one telling people to prepare for the Messiah. He said, after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Somehow, by God's Spirit, John knew that the Messiah was just around the corner. And whenever he was near Jesus, some kind of spirit knowledge quickened in him. When we see Jesus approach John for baptism, John has one of those, what are you doing, moments. John was incredulous. We can imagine him holding his hands in front of him as he says, I, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? I want to explore John's confusion and incredulity a bit. But first, we need to catch up with John. The author of the Gospel of Matthew spends the first two chapters of the Gospel introducing us to Jesus before we get to this scene. And then he spends the first dozen lines or so of the chapter introducing John. We need to just briefly look at what led up to this moment so we can understand it in context. Matthew presents Jesus to us as the embodiment of Israel and the fulfillment of all prophecies in scripture. The author begins with a genealogy that draws a straight line from Abraham to David to Jesus. He then quotes prophecies that point to the Messiah being born of a virgin and this taking place in Bethlehem. He points to the infant Jesus being taken to Egypt to escape from Herod, just like God's people Israel sojourned in Egypt. He points to the Messiah being called out of Egypt, just like God's people were led out of Egypt by Moses. He points to a ruler who tries to thwart God's plans by killing all of the Jewish baby boys just as Pharaoh did in Moses' time. And not to get ahead of ourselves, but after Jesus' baptism, Matthew will show us how he is immediately sent from the waters to the desert to be tested. Just as God's people were sent through the Red Sea to be tested in the desert. The Gospel of Matthew does all of this in two short chapters, summarizing huge swaths of scripture in a brief and breathless narrative. And it's important for us to have all this biblical history in mind as we watch John greet Jesus. Because John himself is keenly aware of all of these events in the history of God's people. He's a righteous Jew who is doing his best to remind everyone of the Old Testament prophet Elijah. He's dressed like Elijah, with a camel hair garment and a leather belt around his waist. Nobody else in town was wearing itchy camel hair. That was old school prophet garb. He's a wild prophet of God, out in the desert like Elijah, calling for righteousness and repentance. John, following in the footsteps of Elijah, is steeped in the knowledge of the history of God's people. So in these first two chapters, the author is reminding us of events that would have been etched deep in John's heart and mind.
Now, I didn't get all of that out of the first two and a bit chapters of Matthew on my first read through it. I had help. One of the blessings of living in our time is that we have excellent seminary programs, scholarly commentaries, well-researched Bible study podcasts, and even all of the engaging Bible study, Bible study material available through Right Now Media, which, if you weren't aware, our church is subscribed to, so you have access to all that. But before streaming video, podcasts, and even most Bible commentaries were available, the Reformed tradition, and that's us, still had tools to help believers wrap their minds around the hugeness of this prophecy-fulfilling Messiah and around our place in his story. One of our most treasured tools for this purpose is the Heidelberg Catechism. The Heidelberg was written in the 1500s to give us a succinct and pastoral account of our need for God's grace, of how God lovingly provides that grace, and how we are called to respond to it. So I wanna take a moment, the first Sunday in Lent, to remind us all that in the journey of exploring the answer to the question, who is this, through the study of scripture, the Reformed Church has had help. It's been helped by the teachings of the Catechism. And these teachings have formed the backbone of our tradition's understanding of Scripture for over 400 years. Because this Catechism has been such a huge part of our asking who is this over the centuries, and because it speaks so perfectly into this story of John's apparent confusion, I want to bring Lord's Day 12 of the Heidelberg into conversation with Matthew here. Lord's Day 12 asks, why is he called the Christ, meaning the anointed? And then it answers, actually, there is something really lovely in a call and response, so I think we have it up on the screen. Would you all be able to read uh, the answer with me? There it is because he has been ordained by God the Father and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who fully reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance. We'll stop there, thank you so much. Lord's Day 12 fits neatly into the picture that Matthew is painting of the Messiah. The Catechism describes Jesus as our chief prophet. The Gospel of Matthew is structured to spend the first three chapters focusing on Jesus as the fulfillment of all prophecies, the ultimate prophet. The Catechism calls him our teacher. And after Christ's baptism, Matthew launches into 11 chapters of Jesus' teachings. And here is where we rejoin our friend, John the Baptist, who is so confused by Jesus approaching him for this baptism. Lord's Day 12 speaks of the secret counsel and will of God. 
Jesus is about to invite John in to the mystery of that secret council, an invitation to participate in the will of God. Picture John, a wild prophet in camel hair, calling for a baptism of repentance. This wasn't a baptism into belief in Christ. Remember, that hadn't been invented yet. This was a baptism of sincere repentance for one's sins in anticipation of the coming kingdom of God. Now, for those of you who are taking Pastor Eric's Tuesday night class, if you're wondering if we're gonna get into the possibility of John being, a scene, being an Essene of the Qumran community, we're not. This sermon has enough segues in it already, and you can do your own homework. You're very smart. The important thing is that John's kind of baptism was a sign to all that the one being baptized was ready to leave a sinful life behind and walk the path of righteousness. When John encounters Jesus, he just knows this man has nothing to repent of. And then Jesus invites him into the secret counsel of God. He says, let it be so for now, for it is proper for us to fulfill all righteousness. Is Jesus showing people that he intends to walk a righteous path? Is he taking a further step to equate himself with the people of Israel? Is he pointing to John as the new Elijah by coming to him? Or does he just know what's about to happen next? But I said no more segues, right? So we'll set those questions aside. What we do know, what we can see in our text, is that Jesus invites John into a mystery. And John accepts. And then we have a moment that almost defies description. Jesus coming up out of the water, the heavens opening, the Spirit of God like a dove hovering over Jesus like it hovered over the waters before creation, and then it alights on him, and God's own voice speaks, this is my Son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Okay, first of all, wow. Can you imagine being John and witnessing this glory? We don't get to see John fall in wonder and worship because the narrative stays with Jesus, who's about to be whisked off to the desert. But wow. John recognized Jesus before he was even born, leaping in Elizabeth's womb. He preached to the Jews about the coming Messiah as a wild prophet. And now he actually gets to see and participate in this. But what is this glorious event? What's happening? Lord's Day 12 tells us that Jesus is called the Christ because Christ means anointed and God anointed him with the Spirit, ordaining him for his ministry on earth. This is that moment of anointing. 
The first part of the book of Matthew recalls the whole history of Israel and points to the fulfillment of prophecies about the Messiah. Here is that Messiah revealed. And John has been preaching repentance because of the coming kingdom of God. Here is heaven being torn open and God's kingdom touching the earth as he anoints his son. Now God's kingdom is come. It is with the Son of God, whom God loves, and who is now ordained for earthly ministry. And John, he's just a guy. He's just a small human whom God foresaw and wrote into existence. Just a man invited in to the secret counsel of the will of God invited to participate in this wonder of wonders. John knew Jesus in some ways, but he didn't know, he could not have known what Jesus was doing that day. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus initiate a new kind of baptism. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you until the end of the age. We call this the Great Commission. With these words, Jesus changes baptism from a ritual cleansing or act of penitence to an initiation into the new covenant through Christ. But like his words to John on the day of Christ's own baptism, the words of the Great Commission are an invitation into that secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance that's mentioned in Lord's Day 12. Just think of the parallels between John and us. John was just a guy. He knew Jesus because the Spirit revealed the knowledge of the coming kingdom to him. But there was still so much he didn't know about what Jesus was doing. He took a step of faith when Jesus invited him into mystery and suddenly he was participating in a mind-boggling act of God. And as disciples coming out of all nations, you and I are also invited in to the secret counsel and will of God, as the Catechism reminds us. The Spirit of God takes up residence in our hearts, anointing and transforming us and pointing us to Christ. We become adopted sons and daughters of the Father, and Jesus, our Redeemer, the Anointed One, he tells us that he is with us always to the very end of the age. And I just marvel at this. And I also think it poses a very personal question. Jesus came to save the lost and John the Baptist was part of that and so are we. That's the big picture. But 
At this point in history, John was invited in to the baptism of the Christ. We weren't there. However, God still invites us in. We may look around with confusion at the world and ask, invited into what? Lord, what are you doing? Because it looks like a wild mess around here. We see war between countries, over 100 million displaced people on our planet, division in our communities, and even bitter discord in the church, and I'm not just talking about the CRC. We get caught up in the how and the why of life in this world, and we sometimes lose sight of Jesus inviting us in to participate in the secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance, inviting us into acts of God that we can't even imagine. So this Lenten season, I suggest that we all prayerfully ask what God might be inviting us into. Perhaps the star word you picked up a few weeks ago has sparked a spirit nudge for you. Perhaps a recent podcast or video series or your reading in the catechism has led you to some new longing for the kingdom. Perhaps you're watching this online because you've embarked on the dig trip to Guatemala. Or maybe you've joined Pastor Eric's class because God is inviting you in in that way. Or you may have recently been asked to stand for elder or deacon in our church. However this is happening for each one of us, let's pray that the Holy Spirit might continue to reveal to us the secret counsel and will of God for our lives, for our families, and for our church. And while we pray that we might wade deeper into the waters of God's will for us, let's not forget to just marvel at God's love for us. John was just a guy, and you and I, we're just small humans who know Jesus and who often don't know what he's doing. And yet, Jesus lovingly approaches us all and invites us in. So church family, on this first Sunday of Lent, We're gonna take a moment and pray together to open our hearts and reflect on the wonder of a God who invites us in and reveals the secret counsel and will of God for our deliverance. We're gonna start with a moment of silence and then I'm gonna conclude with a prayer. So let's open up our hearts to God. We'll start with silence.
Lord, we know you because you have spoken to our hearts, but we don't know you well, and we can never know all of you. Lord, you invite us in, and though we get the big picture, we don't always know where we're being invited to at a given time, and that's a little scary. Be with us, Lord. Guide us, give us courage, Give us passion and compassion. Give your children what we need and forgive us our confusion when we just don't know what you're doing. And thank you for all the wonderful things you do. Amen.